This podcast acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record, the Rwandri Woiwurrung people. We also acknowledge the neighbouring Kulin Nation groups, the Bunwurrung and Bunurong people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We also extend that respect to any other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities who may be listening today. Hello everyone, welcome back to another fabulous episode of Glitter and Gold, the Original Steps podcast. We are the first podcast dedicated to discussing and dissecting the legacy of Steps, the UK's biggest mixed gender pop group of all time. I am your host Shane, I've just forgotten my fucking intro. (laughs) (laughs) You're the host, are you the host, are you? It's your podcast. I am your host, Shane. I'm joined by my pleb, Scott, my assistant. I'm the one that's had like two Aperol spritz and two glasses of wine here. Oh my god. Let me start that again. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Glitter and Gold, the Original Steps podcast. We are the first podcast dedicated to discussing and dissecting the legacy of Steps, the UK's biggest mixed gender pop group of all time. I am your host who's just following you a lot slower now from his chain reaction. And not only is he in our dreams, he's also here on the podcast. We've got Scott with us too. He's also a bit buzzed because he's been out <laughs> friggin' drinking all night. Um, so he's four Aperol spritzes and about 300 tequila shots deep. So expect a few slurs tonight. How I'm are at we? My be- I'm at my best <laughs> when I've had a few drinks. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Nice to see you, doll. Um, we will say one thing. It's just Scott and I for this intro. Brad's not joining us. Um, he's off gallivanting around the Sunshine State um, on his birthday tour up north. So we miss you, Brad, but we'll see you next time. Yes, he's living his best life in Sydney. And, like, you're going to Sydney tomorrow. He's in Brisbane, Don. I just said we... he's in Brisbane. Oh, he's in Brisbane? Oh, God. <laughs> see? See, I've had a few, few drinks. shots. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, sw- I think he's going to Sydney. Like He went to I think Sydney. That was my... Anyway. He's he went to, to Sydney, Sydney, he went home, and now he's in Brisbane. It's Sydney, all happening in the one weekend. Yeah, yeah, we're all just travelling. And then you're going away tomorrow, and so we couldn't... I am off to Sydney tomorrow We could too. not find one day to like align all three of us to record this intro, so we've, we've had to make do with Shane and I today. Mm-hmm. And, speaking of you and I, we saw Delta <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just want to preface to everyone out there, I know... <laughs> We've talked a bit about Delta. This is a Steps podcast, okay? But we will mention Delta because we did see her twice for her Innocent Eyes tour, um, both in Melbourne uh, at Hamer Hall. Um, yeah, it was so great, wasn't it? Like, it was just... So, so... The album was played from start to finish, plus some bonus tracks, um, and, and, you know, fast forward in 20 years and she did Q&A and everything. It was just really great to see that album played in full um, and experience that moment with her celebrating 20 years of Innocent Eyes. And I think that it definitely was a show where I was like, more more artists need to do shows like this where they play an album from start to finish because as consumers of music, you buy an album and you kind of have the 
you remember that running order of the song so it was nice to kind of see that running order live and for an album that is such what is it like one in seven people in Australia have that album or something like that so it's such a big deal that it was so good to celebrate that album not once but twice because we went as you said on the Thursday with um friend Damo and your sister um who's also a massive Delta fan and her partner and some of their friends and then on the Friday we went thanks to your uh, perks of work <laughs> so we got the yes. we just had a whole weekend of delta it was fabulous second time you've got to enjoy my perks of work i have um, yes for the listeners out there i get some perks at my work i work in the arts so anyway um, enough about talking about Delta. It was fun, though. Oh, actually, no, I will bring it up again. Sorry, you, you made a really good point. <laughs> I had something I wanted to say. Uh, you made a really good point about, you know, artists doing this, you know, albums from start to finish. When she did My Big Mistake and she was like, ugh, ugh, don't want to do that song, don't want to do that song. Whereas 20 years ago, she was happy for that song to be included on the album. Whereas now she's like, mm, I don't like this song, get in the bin. It's so interesting to see things like that and how song tastes change and I definitely understand that because as a listener there's songs that artists have you know that I loved back in the day whereas now I'm like this is I can't this song's overplayed too much and that sometimes applies to a couple of step songs but that's for another episode of the podcast but you know what again like having you know what I was saying about it's great for artists to perform albums like that from start to finish you know, we recently revisited Step 1 and it really has made me crave now. How good would it be to go and see Steps perform Step 1 or Steptacular or Buzz from start to finish in that order and have deep discussions about the tracks? And it was, that would be like oh, It incredible. would be absolutely incredible to see some of the songs on those albums that have never been performed live. Yeah. Like experience, for example, track seven. Yeah. Like we're 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 championing track seven in your honor, Brad, because you're not here. Speaking of steps, let's talk out some news. Yes. Yeah, so firstly, finally, after honestly what feels like about five years, never or now, the Unleashed Deluxe Edition from Lisa Scott Lee is out now. It is officially release week at time of recording. You can purchase it if you haven't already from Plastic Pop Records and all digital platforms. So lovely to see it top 10 on iTunes for a few days on release, as well as charting in the top 20 in Australia, Netherlands. I think it was charting in Canada, in Ireland. You know, so for a release that, it, you know, it's a small independent re-release. It's not a big release like Claire's or like a Steps release but it's just nice to see the album have its moment because it got such an odd release back in the day so it's just really nice to see you know love for the album after all this time um, we have not received our copies yet because they are getting shipped to us via your friend's house so we are I don't have they arrived yet uh, no they have not arrived at his house yet so when they arrive at his then we'll do what we did last year with our platinum stuff that's on its way it's the the uh, the the perils of living down under um, had had the release happened at the normal time we would have already had them and we would have had this conversation a month ago anyway that's yep. all good yeah and also a massive shout out to Mr. Chris Fox, the HD 4K of Lately and Yesterday, Too Far Gone, is now on YouTube. 
because for about 20 years, the only versions we've had looked like they were filmed on a Nokia 3210 <laughs> on YouTube. So good to have them. The work Chris has done on the... I only watched the Too Far Gone one very quickly this morning, but lately, the colours... Mm. Incredible. Such a stellar job of Chris. Like, he always only ever does 10 out of 10 work, but so, so good. And I do believe that he may have also done electric. So I'm sure by the time this has, goes out that that will also be available on YouTube. Um, be so good to have those in 4K. Also, just wanted to call out, because you know, Shane, I'm a bit of a sucker for looking at writing credits of who's written songs, for who's produced this. And one of the tracks on the deluxe edition of Never or Now is a track called No Other Day, which has actually been doing the rounds online over the years. It's been on YouTube for quite a while, but I never paid that much attention to it. But I've really fallen in love with this track this week um, since it, you know, since the album was released on Friday. And just worth noting, this track, it was written by Susanna Hoffs, who wrote, who is from the Bangles and wrote Eternal Flame. Scott Cutler, who wrote Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. And Anne Breven, who wrote Forever Ends With You by Our Claire, and also Save Our Love by Eternal, and Nightingale by Demi Lovato. Like, what a, that's a great songwriting, like, coop to have on, on an album. That's amazing. Like, incredible. Yeah. So, that's awesome. just wanted to shout that out. We love that for our Lisa. She deserves it. Yeah. Mm. So, no, great, great song. Really, really loving that track. Um, what else has been happening? H and Claire did attend the Attitude Awards in London last week. And can I just say they look fucking fabulous. Hot, 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 hot. Slaying it. They were. Like, H with that, um, the puffy sleeve, like, jacket. Claire in, like, this pearl, like, fishnet catsuit. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. see-through. She was like, I think she was filmed on one of H's stories. And she's like, I'm wearing see-through. Can you see? <laughs> it's so, good to see her do so it. Good. I love, so I love that she's so comfortable to wear that sort of stuff now and that she's living her best life. You know, it's great to see. And so. she rocks it. I mean, same with H. You know, uh, the outfits that he is wearing these days is just, he is absolutely slaying it. They both just looked incredible. But look, while they're at the Attitude Awards, this caused a bit of controversy online, so let's discuss it. H did talk to The Sun on the red carpet and noted that Steps will next be back for the 30th anniversary in 2027. And to quote H, he said, The next milestone in our discography is our 30th anniversary. That's in four years. Look, you've had enough of us. We've done five albums and six tours in the last six years, so we need a bit of time. On the eventual plans, when they do regroup, he continued to say, the top of my list would be to do a collab with Kylie. We could revisit Better the Devil You Know. We've not gone there yet. So I think for us, I think, look, 30th anniversary is definitely what we assumed and it makes the most sense. But, you know, I do, you know, looking online, a few people were like, oh my God, like that's still like four years away. It's such a long time. But what I just want to say is, you know, the way that Steps are as a business and the way they work 
now is very different to back in the day and as much as they have established themselves as a current performing and recording group they also still rely on nostalgia and that's something that they've even said and and they're totally aware of it and it makes total sense they have done so much in the last seven years like the amount of content that we have received all the albums all the tours it's only natural that they want to take some time off and 30th anniversary as scaring as this sounds 2024 is only two and a half months away it's three years away you know the gap between light up the world and tears on the dance floor was like four years uh, you know the gap between them breaking up and coming back together in 2011 was 10 years so we've had these gaps before and it's always worked out for the better and it just means that we get five individual members all doing incredible things that we can look forward to you know and when you put it like that like steps their anniversary is in may so we're two months away from 2024 that's three full years 24 25 and 26 of them being away and then something will start to rumble either at the end of 26 start of 27 because their their 30th anniversary is early in the first half of the year so Really, it's one year away and they'll be back. So <laughs> that, That's like gay math. Yeah. You know, on the, at the moment, saying girl recently math, gay math. on the internet. It's just one year away. Recently on the internet, they've been doing boy math. They've been doing yeah. girl math. And recently, dog this math. Is this math. is gay math. This is pop math. <laughs> this is gay steps math. Yeah. <laughs> pop math. <laughs> so, and look, you know, we've had... Claire's just obviously released Euphoria. You know, we, you know, she's booked and busy next year. I reckon there's still so much more to come from her. Lisa confirmed on Instagram that she has been, you know, we know she's been recording and writing some new material. I feel there's so much more still to come from Faye over the next couple of years. She's just been the absolute, you know, theatre queen at the moment. Um, H is just killing it in the art world and he's doing a lot at the moment, which we'll talk about in a moment. And Lee, we know, is venturing back into the fitness world. So there's so much to look forward to. We're almost getting five for the price of one for a few years. There's going to be even more content and things to look forward to from the five as individuals. Just to touch on Lee there, this is actually a really good time for him to have a break because these are the time where his child is growing up as well that he gets to spend so much time with as well. So while Lee's doing the fitness stuff, he's also having really good quality time with his baby and with his little boy. And I think that's very important to have at at this stage. So it's, it's done very well. You touched on H there settling into his art um, and that leads me to say that he just recently had a third exhibition at the Cloud Gallery in West Sussex on the 14th of October, so a few days ago, uh, and looked, which looked to be another incredible success, which is great. We love that. He also walked the runway at the Nathan Palmer Fashion Show on the 7th of October and looked absolutely stunting. Fucking um, sleigh. Oh, look. He's such it, a sleigh. It's, I just, I'm really, H is a few years older than me. So I'm, I'm 40, H is 47. It's, you know, we've both grown up gay together. It's really good to see him live his best queer, open self now and do what he wants to do. Like, he deserves that. And he, he went through a period back in the day where he couldn't, be himself and and in the public eye as well he was he was not able to be gay in steps back then and wasn't seen as a thing to do so i just from one gay man of similar age to another it's just really nice to see you know what i mean nathan was a designer of all of h's outfits for dancing on ice and he did say that he promised to repay him by 
uh, walking in one of his shows and he had an absolute ball doing it. So um, we love that for him. Uh, H, again, is also going to be doing a DJ set at the 90s Baby Pop Festival in Manchester at the Manchester Arena on October 28th this month, which has a great lineup including Five, Blue, Louise, Jamelia, Nadine from Girls Aloud. Nadine. Nadine Coyle. <laughs> She's a Gemini. Um, <laughs> Lolly, Samantha Mumba, and A1 as well. What a freaking... That's such a lineup. You can't get everything, man. Honestly, we get I know. nothing down here. I, I read that and I'm like, I'm so jealous. And that's not... That's like just a little bit of the lineup. Mm. There is so many more incredible artists on that. So Maybe we should um, move. Yeah, Do you want to move? I think we just should. Mm. Um... Let's talk about Faye for a little bit. She just finished playing Maggie in 42nd Street, Maggie Jones, um, in the last few days. The final shows of them have wrapped up, and she recently did some promo as the Magical Mermaid with David Suchet. Some people who are a bit older might know who he is. He's Poirot. Uh, he's most famous for playing, playing the character Poirot. Um, and she did that promo for the Bristol Hippodrome production coming up later on this year. So, yeah. Scott... That's the Steps news. We don't have anything for Lee, but we do know he is venturing back in the fitness world. But yeah, Scott, as I was saying, what is this episode all about? So, look, we had the absolute pleasure to talk to Gavin Scott from Chartbeats recently. And while so many of you will know him as the co-host of A Journey Through Stock Aiken and Waterman and A Journey Through Aussie Pop... Definitely for, for the three of us, we know him as the former editor of Smash Hits magazine here in Australia. So Gavin first worked for TV Hits magazine in 2000 before moving over to Smash Hits in 2001. And being such a huge Steps fan himself, he was such a stan and did his very, very best to always include them in the magazines whenever he could, even when he got internal resistance from time to time to do so. We actively read and consumed his work during this period, so it was incredible to discuss this moment in time and get an understanding of what it was like working for these iconic magazines. So in this chat with Gavin, we talk in depth about the Steps Aussie journey during the Buzz and Gold era, and you would have heard snippets of in our previous episode, The Buzz Down Under what he did to make sure he got them coverage, as well as some just honestly incredible stories on the times he interviewed Steps and what the pop landscape was like in Australia in the early 2000s. We really feel like this interview kind of helps to put a little little bow on the Australian story that we've been trying to tell over our three-part series. So I guess without any further ado... Please enjoy our incredible chat with Mr. Gavin Scott. While many of you will know his voice as the co-host of two of the most incredible music podcasts, A Journey Through Aussie Pop and A Journey Through Stock Aiken and Waterman, back in the early 2000s, our guest worked for two of the most iconic magazines in pop culture history, starting as sub-editor and writer for TV Hits Magazine in 2000. In 2001, he moved over to Smash Hits Magazine as a deputy editor before becoming editor in 2003, where he remained until 2005. He has gone on to work for many other publications, including Who Magazine, OK, TV Week, and content creator for Warner Music. 
He was the man responsible for only giving lately by Lisa Scott Lee three stars in a 2003 smash hits review. And Brad never lets him forget it. Wrong chart beats. It's Gavin Scott. Wow. Hello. I'm, I'm impressed you got all the years right. Mate, LinkedIn is, is, a, is a powerful tool. There we go. <laughs> Brad, did you want to question Gavin about that three-star review and get it out of the way? Oh, well, straight into the deep end. Well, we have discussed this. I mean, let, let's be honest. We have discussed this uh, on Instagram. Uh, I think once that was a year on the, the first thing. Well, once a year, yes. I think it's the first thing Brad ever said to me. Um, I like the song. I don't love it. And I always compare it to Sarah Watmore and that kind of dance pop sound from around that time. And, and I liked the songs that Sarah Watmore did more than, than lately. A part of me never understood why you guys got to review it and it wasn't a single. Yeah, well, I think that came down to the fact that we worked so far in advance being a a monthly magazine, but also being print and not online. Uh, our deadlines were stupidly early. So we would have been working off release schedules that were maybe four to six weeks ahead of things actually coming out. And in that time, anything can happen. Things get pulled, things get bumped. That was constantly happening. You'd review something, the magazine would go off to print, and then you'd get, oh, such and such, she's coming out a month later now. And you're like, oh, we did song words for that. Um, I think, Gavin, before we get into all of the step stuff, I think for Brad and I, I almost want to say thank you to you because I, I like smash hits, TV hits, like these magazines, they weren't just magazines. Like to us, they were Bibles. And to so many of our listeners, and I know to Shane as well, like this, these magazines were our way of understanding what was coming up in the pop world because we didn't have Google. We barely had internet. We, you know, for us to know what was going on. And I think the 12 year old me would be like just going nuts at the fact that I'm talking to you. That was an editor of a magazine that I loved so much, so much so that I've never told you this, but in, when I graduated primary school in 98, I was voted most likely to be TV hits editor. So I could have, I could well, have been you. you could have been, but here you are, you're, you're the modern day version. So hang on, you graduated primary school in 98. Okay. That, that makes me feel old. Um, well, I was, I was the same, but like a decade before then, uh, and I, I read Smash Hits, I used to yeah, cut out the song words and, or go to the library and look at the song words and copy them out if, if I couldn't buy it, that issue. Right into um, your notebook. Exactly, exactly. So I grew up with Smash Hits as well. And I remember meeting um, a couple of guys called Mark Andrews and James Manning, who ran Smash Hits in the late 80s. And then when I was at Smash Hits, I crossed paths, they were working for different places. And that was a bit like, oh my gosh, I like you, I, I, I read your work. What was it like working for these magazines? Like, I almost feel like maybe you're going to break my childhood heart by saying that it, it was just work and no fun. But I imagine that it was just every day you're going to work and it's you're talking about music and meeting, you know, favorite pop stars. Like, because this was a really pivotal time in Australian pop music as well during when you were there. Look, it was it was great. The only downside to working in, in teen press when I did was that it was kind of the dying days of teen press. So I missed the glory days of smash hits being like this huge seller. And by the time I came around, nothing to do with me, but um, everything to do with the internet and mobile phones, 
they weren't the magazines weren't selling as much as they used to and so emap who used to publish smash hits didn't see smash hits as as a priority compared to like fhm was the big magazine fhm was the one who was like breaking sales records and all that kind of stuff at that point um but as a job it was it was fantastic i mean i kind of stumbled my way into magazines and so landing my first permanent job at tv hits was like amazing you know i could have ended i think there, there were two jobs i was going for and one was like a trade magazine and i can't remember like a business to business magazine of some description and the other was tv hits and i got the the business mag first and held out and i was like oh i don't want to take that one in case and then i got I, and then i got tv hits. I was like, oh, thank goodness <laughs> uh so it was great yeah to go into the office the radio was on or the, you were playing cds all all the day as soon as i got the job as kind of music editor i got to control the cd player and that that was the best part of the job being no this is what we're going to listen to we're going to listen to no strings attached again gavin you say that it's um you say that it wasn't the glory days but i think for myself and scott and probably fair amount of listeners of this podcast they were the glory like for us they, they were our yeah glory yeah days. and i think that's that's true i guess your glory days are, are when you were fully ensconced in that world of pop and loving stuff. I, I guess it was, we didn't, you know, maybe two years earlier, publicists would have been beating down the door at TV hits and smash hits to give them kind of whatever they wanted because they knew that the circulation was whatever it was. By the time we came along, there were bigger fish to fry sometimes. So that was, that was the, the, thing that um it was a declining industry and the circulations were going slowly down and we'd you know australian idol helped that gave us a boost because that put interest back in local pop and it was stuff that we could give readers that they couldn't get elsewhere well i mean they get in newspapers and stuff but we could give them like the personal you know guy and the human touch the, the human touch the other thing I've always wanted to know, like free, the free gifts, I've always wanted to know. I think I had like inflatable uh, mirror, inflatable photo frame, mouse pad. I have a step smash hits mouse pad somewhere. Like who, did you guys sit at a board table in your weekly stand up and go, okay, what free stuff can we give out this month? Like how did that work? So that was the marketing department and they would source the free gifts and it was all about the cover mount. Uh, you had to have a cover mount, even if it was like the crappiest quality thing, you know, um, I remember we did a mirror, like a little makeup mirror once, um, or like a wristband that was like just the worst thing with little gems on it, which fell off after two seconds. So, so they would source this stuff probably from China and then that would be the the gift that would stick on the front to help sell and it got, it got to this thing where you had to have a cover mount and it was a cover mount war where what a tv hits got on what does big kit got on and is your cover mount better and not even about who was on the cover sometimes it was like who's got the better cover mount and well because sometimes you had the same person yeah yeah absolutely and other, the other thing that Smash Hits did was the poster specials inside the sealed metallic foil bag. We did that a few times. They they worked really well. 
And then it didn't matter at all who was on the cover because you couldn't see the cover. And the metallic bag was all Eminem and Avril life-size posters. And then inside we had Busted on the cover because I was like, well, it doesn't matter. Let's just put Busted on the cover because we're never going to get to do it otherwise. So I was going to say Busted on the cover of Smash It's Australia. That that doesn't sound right. Oh, it, it could have been. We, we, had, we had Busted on one when they were launching because people in the store couldn't see the cover and it was like, well, you know, why not? It's a new boy band. And if they take off, then it looks great. And we also put Mercury four on the cover also in a foil bag, but we, we wanted Mercury four to work because having a boy band, a local boy band like that, that work would have been great. And they did for a little while. They did. And I think I said this to you, Gavin, he, one of the guys owns a cafe now and he made my coffee. And another of the guys is a producer for Channel 9. And Gavin, I always want to know what was like the craziest thing, you know, in Smash It's Magazine, you'd always make like artists do some like stupid things. Like, I don't know, didn't, I think you, didn't you make the Sugar Babes eat Skittles with chopsticks once or something? Like what's the craziest thing? That was the thing that had popped into my head as soon as you said that. Yes. Asking, I think they were M&Ms, but we had the Smash It's Challenge. And so every issue we'd get a pop star to do something crazy in the UK did it to an extent. So we stole some of the cop, uh, content from the UK. Like they had Danny Minogue making a house of cards. So we just pulled that and ran that. But Sugar Babes, that happened locally. Yes, I got the three of them to, and it was Heidi, Mutia and Keisha at that point. They're out here for Rumba, I think. And yes, we, it was, you know, sugar, sweet. Let's get them to eat something sweet with chopsticks because why not? Uh, we got Emmanuel Corella to busk. Oh my God, I remember him. Yeah, he was lovely. Um, so we got him to busk. We got M to M to shop in Priceline in Pitt Street Mall. They had to spend who, who, which of the two of them would be quickest to spend as close to $10 or something like that. And so they were racing around. They got so into it. They were racing around the store, spending their $10. So that was fun. I was, it was, it was a fantastic job. Um, the, I, I guess the difficult thing was being in Australia and the, a lot of the time, the big acts were the overseas acts, not having that access that, as I said, maybe a couple of years earlier, the magazine might've had access to some of them. And if the UK magazine got access, great, we could use that. But if neither of us did, it was a case of buying stuff in and like no one got access to Eminem and we wanted to put Eminem on the cover every single month <laughs> because he sold, but we didn't get access to him once. Because I've always been interested that, because obviously there was content there in the UK, how able were you to use, like just kind of rehash the UK content or just take the copy and just literally um, print it? We could use any content from the UK that we wanted. The issue was that uh, Busted, for example, were massive over there. McFly were massive. Um, Girls Aloud, towards the end of my time at Smash Hits, were massive didn't do anything here. So we had all these features from Girls Aloud and V, the boy band V, all these acts that did nothing here. So we had, yeah, a treasure trove of stuff. And with Steps, they did a lot of stuff in Smash Hits that we could have run, but didn't because either the music wasn't coming out, like the singles weren't being released here, or when they did, they just weren't big enough and we couldn't justify doing 
a two-page spread on steps when their last single didn't crack the top 50. Look, you would have got two sales. You got three sales from me, Shane and Brad. Oh, look, I wanted to because I loved steps. Uh, but it was, yeah. So we could run anything we wanted from the UK mag at Smash Hits. I can't remember what the situation was with TV hits, but I imagine it was similar. And it was, yeah, always just the question of, but can we run it here? Is it relevant? You were telling me that you moved to the UK for two years in 98 to 2000. So you kind of moved to the UK just when steps were mm. becoming big here. And then you would have obviously experienced the kind of the explosion of steps in the UK, but you were telling me you interviewed Claire, like very, like during very yes, early on yes. stages. So right? before I left to the UK, I was still at uni and I was writing for a street press title called 3d world, which was like the dance music version of drum media or on the street. And so I used to do their commercial dance stuff, like the Wild FM or the Hits FM type stuff. And steps. And, and, and steps, apparently. And so I interviewed Wigfield. I interviewed the guy who did Bamboogie, um, thing, things like that. And so I got this call or yeah, it would have been a call rather than an email. I got this call from Theory World saying, oh, can you do an interview with Claire from Steps? And I was like, oh, the five, six, seven, eight group. And it was really early when that single had only just come out here, but I was aware of it from 97 in, in um, the UK, but that's all I knew that they were the five, six, seven, eight group. And I was given a press release and the press release just had information about five, six, seven, eight. And so I went into the interview going, yeah, okay, all right, I'll do it, you know, whatever. And then chatting to Claire, who was lovely, and she told me about Pete Waterman, that he was involved. She told me that their next single was a cover of Lasting On My Mind, which I was like, the Bananarama song, like. And so I was on this call with Claire losing my mind because obviously I have a Stock and Waterman podcast. I'm a Stock and Waterman fan. And I was like, what? Like, I just thought you were a novelty band. Like what, you know, which obviously they got all the time. So in the course of that call, I went from being like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do this interview too. Oh my gosh this is my new favorite pop group. I have to hear this song. And then just before I left Australia, last thing on my mind came out or was about to come out. And then yes, went to the UK, had two years of just wall to wall steps. I saw them at GAY in London in 98. Oh, wow. And I was working at HMV on Oxford street when love's got a hold of my heart came out. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was like, Every single, as you know, went top five. So it was a great time to be in the UK as a Steps fan. I bought the Steps video. I heard about Pastor Ala Clara. Ala, sorry, is it Clara? Clara, yeah, Clara? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I saw Brad Wins, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I was, yeah, big fan. But yeah, all because of that interview, that was where I kind of went, oh, hang on. There's more to this group. Do you still have that interview? I think I, I don't have the audio. Um, in fact, I probably didn't even record it at that stage. Because you were that disinterested because you're like, oh, it's just a novelty. <laughs> no, I was that unprofessional and like first job in the industry that I used to sit there on the phone taking written, taking notes and then typing it up straight away afterwards. So I don't, I don't think I have the audio, but in terms of the, at the clip of the interview, I, I think I have it somewhere, but I, yeah, I would, 
I'd, I'd, yeah, it might be in storage. So when you arrived back in Australia in 2000, so you've just had like two years of like living in the UK and just the amount of pop music that was being consumed there. How did you find the pop music landscape in Australia when you got back to Australia compared to the UK? Okay, so I came back in 2000 as Pop Stars was wrapping up and I had been completely unaware of pop stars and I got back and was like, oh, you have to watch this show, pop stars, you're gonna love it. Bardo were putting out Poison and that all kind of happened as I was getting back and then starting at TV Hits. So from a pop fan point of view, I was like, wow, there's a show about making a pop band, great. Um, but the priorities were NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Britney, Christina, Destiny's Child. They were all the big acts at TV hits and, and on the chart as well. So it was about those US acts rather than the British acts. I mean, I don't even know if people here knew that much about A1 or Atomic Kitten or Precious or Scooch. They were the groups that I was kind of hearing about before I left. And Steps and S Club were doing okay here, but there was no nowhere near as big here as they were in the UK. I'd say like five were probably the biggest British pop act around that time. Five were consistently quite big. I think as well, the Venga Boys as well, I, their album was like one of the top 20 or top 40 albums in Australia in 2000 without a big single behind it, which was just interesting. So, I mean, for a pop fan, it was great because, I mean, I grew up at a time when pop was not cool. Pop was not as readily accessible as that. And, you know, Kylie had those first three singles go to number one, and then the backlash came in, and it was just like, no, no, clamp down on pop. So, fast forward a decade, and to have all this pop happening and, and successful was fantastic. And, you know, that year, obviously, Kylie put out Light Years, Madonna put out music. It was, it was you know, it was great to be a pop fan in Australia, finally. I always felt, and you kind of just said it before around the US influence, it almost felt like we were being pushed all of these US acts as opposed to UK acts. Was that when you're working at somewhere like Smash Hits, are you actually being told to push this or is it just, this is what publicists are bringing to you? This is what labels are bringing to you. And you're just sort of like putting in the magazines, what is being brought to your attention? Do you know what I mean? Like what did you have the, any influence I guess you probably didn't have much influence to change the narrative. I, I think there's a few things. I think in Australia, cheesy or what was perceived to be cheesy or bubblegum pop just never worked as well as something that was considered cooler or edgier. So if you think back to the 90s, E17 did really well. Take That didn't for ages. Take That would nothing until, until Back for Good. And Boys to Men, massive. Boys own, not so much. Every, every so often, like father and son and no matter what. But in, in you know, Ireland and the UK, boys own had top five hit after top five hit. So I think Australia was always looking for something edgier or coolable or quote unquote credible. And so that was always the push. And things like Steps and S Club 7, which were very bubblegum and very pop, weren't seen as cool and I guess the Australian industry which had always been resistant to pop I guess they were faced with okay we have to admit that pop's doing well let's ride this pop wave but let's make it cool pop 
So I think there was a bit of that kind of snobbishness towards pure pop. And um, so at the magazines, I was more likely to get coverage of, uh, of Sugar Babes. I got the magazine to do stuff on them really early on and Samantha Mumba. I pushed for, for both of those acts and we did stuff on them because there was an edge, especially with Sugar Babes. There was an edge. They were cooler, that kind of thing. I was more likely to get, because I had to get the editor on board. And um, so I was more likely to, to get an act like Sugar Babes or Samantha Mumba in the magazine than something that was a bit more pure pop. Can you tell us a bit more? I, I just find it fascinating, like the actual impact you you would see as an editor or a, a, a deputy editor when you'd have a pop act on the cover, like in terms of percentage of sales. Like, could you actually see, okay, no, this month we had Mercury 4 and there was 10% less readership? Or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not so much with Mercury 4 because it, it, that was essentially an Eminem cover because he was on the, the metallic bag. But, yeah, from, from issue to issue, I remember... We put Holly Valance on the cover for second album. We did a couple of different Destiny's Child covers at Smash Hits and one worked really well and one didn't work as well. Uh, same with Delta. We did two Delta covers while I was there. One did really well, one didn't do as well. It, it definitely depended yeah, who was on the cover and what was going on around that time. Did you get the timing right? Did you put them on the cover when they were hotter than anyone else? And also hotter than what the other mags had on their covers that month. You said something before about S Club 7. And um, I when we did the last episode around the Australian um, uh, story of steps, something that I brought up was I always found that in the first era of steps, they were everywhere. And this was when you were in the UK. So you probably missed a lot of that, but they really were everywhere in this country. Like they, you know, they had four top 10 singles. The album was platinum. They were in TV hits or in smash hits or on video hits all the time. S club came and it felt like all of the, the, the footprint that they would have had in your magazines. They were S club were now getting that. And so S club were on the cover of TV hits, S club were in smash hits, S club were on video hits. And I always felt like we could only focus. It was like, okay, we can only focus on one or the other. Steps have had their turn. Now we're going to go to S Club. And because obviously, like you said, S Club had a little bit more, probably a little bit more of an edge than Steps did in terms of coolness. Would you agree with that? Sometimes. Sometimes I think they did. And I know you wanted to talk about Don't Stop Moving later on. And I think that's a case where, yes, they did have a little bit more edge. I think I, I don't know that that's necessarily true like we can only have one because we did do stuff on nsync and backstreet boys and five so but they're boy bands so there was definitely room for more than one boy band uh and and i guess with yeah britney christina mandy jessica the blonde american you know you could always do more than that. but i i think the thing with steps and s club is that when S Club were taking off with Bring It All Back and S Club Party and even Two in a Million did okay here, um, that coincided with One for Sorrow not doing as well. And then, oh, then Tragedy did well. That, but, but Better Best Forgotten, was that even released here? No, so so Better Best, so um, 
Steps were signed. I, th- I think you know this. Steps were signed to Liberation, which I'm going to assume you would know this. That there must be some sort of deal with PWL or Saw with Mushroom, because it always felt like a lot of the artists that were on their foot label were released through Mushroom Liberation. So Steps were really on that label for the first album, but then Zomba obviously must have opened up a local footprint here. And they moved there. So that happened around the time Better Best Forgotten was supposed to be released. So the release got canned. So that wouldn't have helped their chances as compared to S Club 7, I guess, if that was meant to come out and S Club 7 were on the ascendancy. But but if you think about Reach by S Club 7, which is pure pop, the cheesiest song out, I love it, but it's so pop and it's so up and it did very little here. So I think it depended on on the song. I mean, S Club 7 were kind of a cool and then they'd put out something like Reach and those big drippy ballads like Never Had a Dream Come True and Have You Ever, which went to number one in the UK and did nothing here. So I think, again, it was Australia like, no, we like it when it's cool. We don't like it when it's schmaltzy or pure pop like that. I just want to ask, Ruan, just one second. So you mentioned Backstreet Boy and Sync 5, and it reminded me of the Spice Girls quote that they were told frequently that girl bands, girls did not buy girls on the front cover of magazines. Did you ever Did you ever find that? No, because we put girls on the cover a lot. Avril sold really well for us. Uh, so no, it has to be the right girl. But I think a hot, male solo artist or a hot boy band will probably sell more of a title like smash hits than the hottest you know spice girls or britney um and those britney and spice girls will do well because they were absolutely massive but um i think because your market is mostly or not mostly but predominantly teenage girls and gay guys they're going to want the hot boy or hot boys on the cover. Uh, and that might be, you know, if they've got a choice between mags or titles or what do I spend my money on? Do I go and get a mobile phone voucher or do I buy a magazine? Oh, look, it's Justin Timberlake. Bam, you've got a sale. Whereas they might be able to do without Delta, for example. As a, like, cause obviously you're a Steps fan and you were in the UK during like, the time when they were really blowing up you come back to australia in sort of what may 2000 did you say yeah so that was around the time the last release that steps had here was january 2000 with say we mine that did it kind of did okay it kind of got them back into the top 30 three of them came on here on a promotional tour which we have all the bizarre theories about why only three of them came but that's for another day so you're you're back in australia you're a fan of steps were you kind of going like, what the hell? Like where, because we didn't see any releases for, for a year or about tw- uh, 14 months. So as a fan, are you going, what the hell? And then also working in the industry, did you ever kind of get an understanding as to why there was a pause? I mean, I wasn't happy about it at all because I thought Deeper Shade of Blue and to a lesser extent, Summer of Love were real missed opportunities in Australia. And I, I remember hassling the Zomba publicist uh, about, you know, when are you going to put out Deeper Shade of Blue? Deeper Shade of Blue would be a hit. I mean, the video could have changed perceptions here because it's a cool video. It's an expensive looking video. And I think had that got on video hits, it 
it would have blown up. I mean, Video Hits was always tricky because the guy who ran Video Hits had very, he made some interesting choices about what videos he would and wouldn't play. Uh, so you, you weren't always a lock at Video Hits when you thought you might be. But I thought, especially Deeper Shade of Blue, that could have, I mean, maybe not been top 10, but I think it would have been another hit. What did the what did the publicist say? If you even remember, I mean, I, I'm going to be, I'm the one who's going to be like that day. What did this person say? So I seem to think that they always were like, oh, we'd love to do more. We'd love to get them out here for promo. And it was, that was an ongoing theme that if only we could get steps out here, the full group for promo we could do more with them and we could release that next single or that single if we could get them out here so i feel like that was a um a running thread in that zomba would have loved to have done more with steps if only dot 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 do you have any theories about the we left the others in thailand why h and lisa weren't on the trip no because i i wasn't here for that trip so i i kind of am and I wasn't into mags yet by then, so I wasn't really across that. Uh, so no, no, I, I can't join in your conspiracy theorizing. But the other thing you have to remember about Jive, which Zomba Australia released, was that Jive was the home of Britney and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, all of which did very well. And steps just weren't as much of a priority, I think, here because the singles weren't doing as well, the albums weren't selling as much. So they were, I don't want to say an afterthought because I feel like, you know, the label did what they could and made the decisions they thought were the best decisions. But I feel like they got the short end of the stick because they had these mega bands and it was a small operation zombie here and there was only so much that team could do and they i can understand that they go well let's just focus on these acts that are really working for us and i also remember that was around the time where they were starting to invest in local pop acts like i think we've spoken about this before like Haley Aitken, Hayley, they really yes. pushed her which we've spoken about before um, there was quite a few others. So it kind of felt like they had, yeah, Britney and Sync Backstreet Boys. And then they were kind of starting to invest in local pop acts. And it was like, okay, that was their focus. So we're not going to invest in steps. Not that their local acts did very much either, to be fair. And Haley's a, a successful songwriter. She is. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it all's well that ended. The Haley, that wasn't, oh gosh. That was interesting, the launch of Haley. It was very similar to Delta, really. They both started out with, like, one name only, Haley and Delta, that girl, um, I don't care. And then they became singer-songwriters. Well, they didn't really want to launch Haley. I remember the first photos we got of Haley, you couldn't see her face. The first publicity shots of Haley, the hair was, her hair was over her face. And we were like, we can't run these because you can't see what she looks like. And it was almost like they wanted the music to speak for itself and her voice to speak for itself. And I remember going into the Zomba boardroom with the guys from Big Hit, actually, and we were sat there at the at the table as Haley sang to us, which is always which is great because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting sung to by a pop star, but it's also really awkward as well because you don't know where to look and yeah. So um, yeah, and, you know, great voice and lovely to chat to, but. I just, yeah, remember, well, what, just show her face and let her be the pop star that she's going to be. And then, yes, if you want to go down the singer-songwriter thing later on, 
fine. But yeah, so that was interesting. It's funny that you um, mentioned, you know, not showing an artist's face because that's going to cover, a, that's going to be featured a lot in the next topic of conversation. <laughs> so after 14 months following their previous single, Steps came back in Australia in March 2001 with Stomp. So Gavin, my question to you is, do you think Stomp was the right comeback single after their year and a half or 14 months away? Absolutely. Because not only is it an amazing song, but it had been a UK number one. And that still meant stuff here that, you know, it was a UK number one, UK chart topper, that that has uh, selling power in Australia. So yes, absolutely. It was the right comeback song for Steps. And it was the, I mean, it was, it was in theory, the first single from the album, even though some of the double A sides ended up on the album, it effectively was the lead single of a new album. So it was a new era. Yep. Let's start afresh. Let's get Stomp out there and let's get Steps happening again in Australia, in theory. What was the push like in terms of hearing from the record label about Stomp? Do you recall, do you have any memories of them coming out to you being like, Steps are back, here's a new single Stomp? I, my memory is going to my friend's place and getting her to go on Napster and saying, can you download Stomp? Because I've heard that it's come out in the UK and I want to hear it. And, you know, being dial-up internet, that wasn't very successful. Uh, so I was aware of Stomp and I hadn't heard it yet. So it would have been a case of me going to the record company, when Stomp coming out, when Stomp coming out, when can I hear it? What, what are you doing with Stomp? Rather than them coming to me. Uh, yeah, that, that would have been what was going on there. But I don't remember it getting that much of a push. And I guess they, they knew they didn't have to push it with me. So it probably they would have been pushing radio and TV, I think, rather than me who was already on board. Do you think there was internal resistance at Smash Hits? Because there was articles about Stomp in the UK uh, version of Smash Hits, but there wasn't really any coverage here. Do you recall there being any discussions about it? Again, I know it's 20 plus years, but I've been wanting no, to know. <laughs> well, I wasn't at Smash Hits yet, so I was still at TV Hits, kind of just. And I did do a mention of the music video in the, whatever I, my music pages were called, and I had it and the Girls on Top video uh, for Girl Thing. It was like, look, Disco's back, because they were both disco dance routines. Uh, so I did screen grabs of both and was like, hot new disco songs. And that was kind of all I was allowed to do. Uh, because not so much resistance, but it was kind of like, oh, well, steps haven't been working. So yeah, let's give it a mention. Let's do something and then see how it goes. That was kind of the attitude of, of the editorial team at TV Hits. Smash Hits, I don't know what was going on at that point because Smash Hits was always more music focused than TV Hits, obviously, given the titles. Um, so Smash Hits would have had more room to do stuff because they had more music pages to fill. Whereas at TV Hits, we were still doing a lot of Dawson's Creek and Buffy and that, that kind of stuff. Home and Away, obviously, yeah. Uh, so Smash Hits probably could have done more on Steps. And I think it just would have been, again, a case of, oh, uh, yeah, but they've been gone for a long time. And the last couple of singles only went top 30 and blah, blah, blah. And not having a Steps obsessive on Smash Hits at that point, yeah, they probably just 
had other fish to fry. It's kind of crazy that, you know, in retrospect, 14 months, like so many artists, like don't release music for 14 months, but in 2000, maybe just because time when you're younger means more to you, that felt like the end of the world for me as a fan, at least. Uh, I want to quickly ask, I don't have a lot of memories of it. I think, Scott, you've got a little bit, but maybe you, Gavin, have more memories of Stomp being used as the Mardi Gras uh, theme song. Does that ring any bells? It doesn't ring a bell. Not aware of that. Yeah, it was it was used as the uh, theme song to 2001 City Mardi Gras. Just as, there we as go. a little fact for you. Thought, you would have thought... You would have thought that might have given a bit of a push. And that leads perfectly to the next thing, which is that because that was being used, oh, look, we have our own theories, but the theory is that because of the Mardi Gras connection and the whole disco thing, that's why they used the iconic, for lack of a better word, I call it the blue cover of Destiny. It's funny because when you sent me the list of things you, you wanted to discuss and I saw the blue cover, I was like, oh, the blue cover of Buzz. And I thought we were going to talk about the blue cover of Buzz as opposed to the wearing black international cover. And then I saw the stomp, the blue, that blue and purple cover online, and I had completely forgotten about that cover. But yeah, you're right. The single came out with that cover. And I was used to seeing like promo copies of things come into the office, which wouldn't have proper artwork, often wouldn't even have any artwork. It'd just be a disc in a clear case. And so I definitely remember seeing that cover and I probably thought, oh, this is just a promo cover and there'll be a proper cover when it's actually released. And I think that was a massive mistake to go with that cover. because, and I don't know if it was a deliberate choice, let's not put them on the cover and let's, you know, people might think it's this cool dance track and it'll sell that way. I don't, I never heard that. No one ever said that to me, that that was the plan or that was the thinking behind putting that cover. But I can just imagine that maybe it was like, well, let's downplay that it's steps and let's just, even though the word steps is pretty big on the cover, let's downplay it, put this out there, let people discover it. Maybe some DJs will play it and then it will become a hit or whatever. But I was like, no, I mean, this is going to sell to pop fans and pop fans walking through sanity or no brushes was gone by then walking through sanity, flicking through the CD singles, want the five faces from steps to jump out at them from the rack. They don't want some random blue cover that they might just flick past because it doesn't say anything to them. So not having steps on the cover. I I mean, I don't know, maybe they didn't like the wacky hairstyles on the cover. (laughs) They were pretty wacky, right? They were Lee's hedgehog hair. Yeah, that's, yeah, I I don't know that that was the thinking, but I'm just guessing that maybe it was an attempt to to downplay the stepsness of it. And that comes back to because steps were the five, six, seven, eight group for a lot of people in Australia, because that had been the first hit, had that not been deleted, it would have stayed on the chart for six months or more. And the only reason last thing on my mind did as well as it did was because five, six, seven, eight was whacked on it as a bonus track. Last thing on my mind is my favorite step song. So no disrespect to that song, but five, six, seven, eight is the type of song that people who don't like music go out and buy because it's got that novelty factor or it's different. So you're going to get line dancing fans. You're going to get schools. You're going to get 
everyone, you know, Moby Disc people, everyone is going to go out and buy five, six, seven, eight because it's different and it's an event kind of record. And songs like that, especially in Australia where steps weren't here all the time, they were hardly ever here, songs like that are hard to get past because it becomes defining, a defining song. And so by the time Stomp came out, they were still seen as, oh, the 5678 group. For most people, one for Sorrow, Say You'll Be Mine, wouldn't have even gone on their radar. Pop fans, yes. Steps fans, yes. But most people wouldn't have known 5678. They might have got to know Lasting On My Mind off the back of that. Tragedy, probably. But then that's a cover, so it's not necessarily a Steps song. It's like, oh, yeah, the good cover. Do you know what I mean? Some I mean, would it, say Stomp was the same. Well, true, true. But I guess, I guess basically it's a long way, long-winded way of saying that by the time Stomp came out, in a lot of people's minds, and by people I'm talking about, radio programmers and TV programmers and the general public at large, they think 5678. So I guess maybe it was a, let's remove ourselves from, from that connection and reinvent steps with a cover that doesn't feature them on the cover. That's always been my theory because this was around the time where there was, you know, dance music was really big. So you would go in and then just be the, like the, the record label logo with the artists, like Alice DJ and Vandal, all that. And my, yeah, so my theory was always that they were kind of treating it like a dance record and we'll just have the artist name and the title to kind of steer them in a more mature direction because then obviously when we get into the next topic, they're in the UK, like they sort of stayed quite cheesy but the the imagery that we got for the next campaign was very different in terms of maturity so it was almost like they were trying to kind of push them in a different direction to the public oh no i absolutely agree that they were trying to you know we talked at the start about pure pop versus cool and edgy pop this was an attempt to make steps cool and edgy and i just don't think that was ever gonna fly i i think uh, they should have just leaned in to, to the pop of it and sold to that market, sold to the kids, sold to the gay market and just gone, you know what, they're pop, they're pure pop. Here's a fantastic song with 70s influences. Let's go all in and kind of own it. So I think there was a little bit of a, oh, what do we do with steps? Whereas like, you know what, you you flog steps for as steps and you lean into that pop thing and it'll it'll work for the people who love that stuff it'll work and you might pick up some more people off the back if you kind of go in half-hearted with it 1999 that also is when high five became a thing and visually speaking high five i would say has a very similar lineup to steps that two blonde girls and a brunette blonde boy blonde brunette boy it is visually very similar and maybe especially when they came across with love's got to hold my heart which was very kitty friendly high five was becoming a thing maybe there was just too much similarity there but just just a mm. random thing that i haven't shared before no i yeah i can see that um i guess yeah not being around in the country when when high five was taking off but no no, no but that makes a lot of sense because by yeah i mean they were still around in 2000 but uh so i don't know if if in 99 that had an impact but i can yeah i'm sure a couple of years later when there was steps for you know they're trying to do stomp and they tried to do chain reaction people would in australia might look at them and go oh they're like high five so after stomp it was pretty quick only a few months later here and now and buzz were both released here pretty 
um, abruptly, very quickly. And it almost felt to us like it was sort of a, we just need to get this out by the time the album came out. And ironically, the single Here and Now, You'll Be Sorry, and the album Buzz came out on the same day. Um, and from our memories, both of these releases were pretty ignored in you at Smash Hits by this point. I was still at still at TV Hits be- because I that's why I was ignored at at Smash Hits. I didn't get to Smash Hits until mid two thousand and one. So this would have been around that same time. So you so it yeah. was just before one of my last things at TV Hits was I spoke to both Faye and Lisa for that album oh, wow. uh, and separately. And I think because again, the publicist was like, oh, Gavin will speak to them. And so not only did I get one, I got two. And I don't know if it was a case of it being difficult to place interviews that I got to. So I spoke to both Faye and Lisa for bars and the most space that I could get in TV hits was like a half page or three quarters of a page where I combined both Q and A's with them and and did a catching up with steps. And it was about the album. And I I think I asked a love question or something because you had to ask a love question. Um, And I remember looking at it the other day before doing this interview and Faye had just got engaged, I think. So, uh, so yeah, so I, got some steps in the magazine in TV hits because I had done those interviews. Um, but yes, it wasn't a big two page spread or anything like that, unfortunately, but I was always angling to give steps more space at, at TV hits. I was more successful once I went over to smash hits. Uh, but yeah, it, it just, it was a shame. I mean, had they come out here for buzz or for stomp? I mean, if they had to come out here for stomp, I think it would have been a very different situation because they would have done all the TV shows. They would have got more exposure than they did, which was next to nothing. And yeah, I, I think that was a missed, again, a missed opportunity. If they had have come out here for Stomp and then that would have had a knock-on effect on bars, they might've got back in the chart and then it could have got the ball rolling again. So, cause around this time, so this is mid, mid 2001. So Bardo, ASAP had probably not just long come out. They're about to start era campaign two. Scandalous had obviously were around by then. You had S Club had Don't Stop Moving, which I know we want to talk about. And Five had Let's Dance. So do you think that maybe there was just like pop market was a bit oversaturated by this point to include There steps? was always competition about what coverage we could give, especially in TV hits where there was the dedicated music section and you had to basically be Britney or Backstreet or anything to get outside that into the main body of the magazine. So the real estate in that music section was was quite competitive. Uh, in Smash It's not so much, but yes, there was always competition about who to put in the magazine, who to um, who to cover, but also for people buying the music, there was competition about what to spend your money on. But I feel like a good song with broad appeal will always succeed, regardless of, of you know, who it is or, or whatever, as long as the audience gets a chance to hear it or to, or to learn about it. And, you know, I, I think you couldn't release a dud single and expect it to be a hit. So like Scandalous, who you mentioned with, with the, example of that second single big mistake should have been history should have been you bring me love so 
completely wrong single to release for them as a they're gone bam so and you know even acts like britney and nsync from the bottom of my broken heart and this i promise you did nothing because those types of singles didn't do well here those really slushy ballads didn't do well here so it was competitive in the sense that a you had to release a good song B, you had to get some exposure, whether it was radio or magazine or whatever. But if you could tick those boxes, then fine. It was just getting over those hurdles and it kind of didn't matter who you were. And you were only as big as your last hit, really. Now, we talked about S Club. We've mentioned them a few times at this exact time, though. Don't Stop Moving was massive. It was number two here. So do you also maybe think that by this stage, S, like, S Club were the focus they were getting the coverage like why do you think that don't stop moving worked but stomping here and now didn't like steps weren't connecting but s club were because don't stop moving tapped into that cool spiller daft punk mojo kind of sound but with a pop edge so the sound was slightly cooler it was 2000s disco not 70s disco the video was sexier the video was darker the Stomp video is still primary colours, bright, fun, mucking around with that guy who owns the warehouse or whatever at the start. You know, it's it's a fun, light video. Whereas Don't Stop Moving, they were, you know, they're pulling those moves. It was a bit sexier. So as we said earlier, if, if there was something with a bit more edge in the pop world, that was going to work better than something that was pure pop and quote-unquote cheesy pop and I, I think that that's what it because you know as I said reach didn't do well here and that's as cheesy as it gets the ballads never did well here uh I think it was wise to skip over it's the way you make me feel for steps here because I, I, I love the song but I don't think it would have connected here that's quite interesting because I actually f- always felt the opposite I because it had that it was written by the Swedish guys they had that American maturity I always felt that could have been the one to connect but I think because it was closer to a ballad, I think here and now and you'll be sorry were more like if you look at the Scandi pop stuff that did work here, it was the Strongers, Oops, uh, Bye Bye Bye, that kind of stuff. It wasn't the Westlife stuff. The Westlife Scandi stuff didn't do as well, those big cheer on ballads. So I think it's the way you make me feel tapped more into that ballad so whereas here and now and you'll be sorry were more anthemic so it, it was a wise decision to go on to those to onto that double a side but i think they're they're third single they're not lead single so i think if stomp hadn't connected there was no way here and now you'll be sorry was going to connect again as much as i love them just purely in a you know you think you we're not just thinking about pop fans who are across all this stuff and who love all this stuff. We're thinking about, you know, Joe Blow in, in the Burbs yeah. or, or Joanne Blow yep. in the Burbs, who, <laughs> you know, who has $10 a week mean, to spend yeah. on a single. What's she going to pick? She's not going to pick here and now you'll be sorry if she didn't already pick Stomp. Do you ever remember, so you obviously interviewed Faye Lisa around this time, do you remember, because like I said, both the single and the album came out on the same day. It kind of felt like, especially with the album by this point, because it, it was about 10 months after it had been released in the UK, it was almost like we just need to 
a kind of get this out so it's done but also the the imagery obviously was very different so in the uk they had the you know that futuristic um look which was very in in 2000 everyone was doing that but here we got a completely different um artwork we got the in the all in the black and white it was very mature do you think that was a um do you think that was deliberate on Zomba's part here to kind of say, let's try and sway this in a different direction to try and get them to reconnect and be oh, a bit absolutely. more mature. Yeah. I mean that, that album cover choice would not have been a mistake. That would have been, yes, this is going to work better here in whatever strategy meeting they would have had. It would have been, let's go with that cover rather than that cover. Absolutely. hundred percent. Was it the right choice? Maybe. I mean, I, again, I don't know that the album was going to do very much here off the back of one single that had, hadn't charted that well and another one that came out at the same time that also didn't chart very well and no promotion beyond some phoners with journalists who were already fans yeah, anyway with, yeah. <laughs> with me. Um, <laughs> with you. <laughs> so I think the, the, the thing about um, them coming out on the same day, I have a vague memory that Zomba didn't release stuff every week that they released fortnightly oh. Oh. and I could be making that up, right. but, um, I feel like Sony universal, they all released stuff every week. There'd be stuff coming out. I feel like Zumba might've been fortnightly cause they were a smaller label. And so they, you know, would have just made more financial sense to put out bursts of stuff. As I said, I could be making that up, but that, that rings a bell in my mind that that was what they did. And so maybe it was like, well, Let's just put them out on the same day. Otherwise, we have to wait two weeks. Right. That may, okay. oh, that makes sense. Because the other thing is as well, you know, I would have thought when a label is releasing an album, whether it's local act or international act, that's a financial cost, right? So, like, was it common in the industry when you were working in it? Did you see labels just sort of release albums for the sake of it of, oh, we just need to get this out and move on? Like, surely that's a financial loss, if you're going to release an album and you know it's not going to No, they well. would just not release it, which is what happened with the Lisa Scott Lee single. They obviously decided, and again, maybe they had stuff set up, maybe they had promo set up with Lisa and then that fell through and so they decided not to release it. And sometimes it was this rolling thing of it getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. and Which we know what happened with Buzz. Like Buzz was pushed back after from the first, from Stomp. It was going to be released from Stomp, yeah. Yeah, and it would be, well, let's wait because the next single might be a hit. So let's wait and do it then. And, oh, okay, let's wait and then do it there. You know, so there was that situation happening all the time. I don't think they would ever just put something out for the sake of it. I think they would always put something out expecting it to sell a certain amount of copies. And maybe they thought, okay, well, Steps have a fan base here. If we can sell X thousand copies of this to that fan base, rather than them importing it and us not getting that money, mind you, 10 months is a long time to wait. Yeah. I, I mean, I imported it, but I yeah, still same, bought it. same. But maybe they, because there were different tracks and artwork, they're like, oh, well, people will buy it again. So that maybe that was part of the strategy as well. Well, if we stick a different cover on it, the fans that were already own the UK version will buy this one too, and we'll give them a bonus track. So that would all have been strategy, I'm, so, I'm sure. Thank you, Scott, for bringing that up because that's not one of the questions that we had. And it's like, it's something I've been thinking about as well because, you know, you and I, I think, 
I feel like we're now coming at it this like adults and I actually agree with you. I'm like, why would they release it? But then as a fan, if you told me that 20 years ago, I'd be like, they have to release it. So it is, yeah, it's just, it's a fascinating thing of, you know, and I wonder whether like, cause a number 62 song single with Stomp and then here and now not getting much traction. I do wonder what the label thought it was going to do. I think they would have been realistic about what it was going to do. And I think, yeah, I think they would have just been like, well, let's put it out. It'll do what it's going to do. We'll push it as best we can because, you know, they put out plenty of other stuff that didn't do so well. I remember them always putting out mystical singles on Jive the rapper. Oh, rap was big. Um, but yeah, but they never really did anything, but they still, because rap did really well. And I was like, well, let's keep trying, you know, so there was often a case of, well, let's keep trying because you never know. It could be the one that's going to explode. Gavin, you went to Smash It's around mid 2001, just after interviewing Lisa and Faith Buzz. Tell us a bit about in December, 2001, you had a one-page article called Whatever Happened to Steps? Yes, well, it was actually a double-page spread featuring a whole lot of different artists of, of whatever happened to dot, dot, dot. And that was my way of getting Steps in a feature in Smash It. So, yes, I was, I was at Smash Hits by now. I was deputy editor, so I had a bit more sway on, on what went in and what didn't, and we were a music magazine with a little bit of TV as opposed to it being the other way around. So I might've done a Claire interview or I might've, no, I think I did do the interview because there were questions that only an Australian would have asked looking back at, at the questions, which I did the other day. Um, so I had this interview and it was like, right, well, I don't want it to be three questions up the front in planet pop. How can I convince my editor to give this a bigger run? And I was like, okay, well, let's do a whatever happened to. So we did Aqua, we did Hanson, we did Bewitched, a smaller element, whatever happened to each of them. And then the Steps Q&A was like the holding thing of the spread of whatever happened to Steps. So it was my way of getting some coverage for Steps finally, even if it was a bit of a, I wouldn't say it was a negative story, but it was, a, okay, they haven't been so successful what's been going on is that going to change so like pure journalism <laughs> did they make you use an old photo of them because there was this was around time of gold they had all this new imagery and i remember distinctly that um oh, it's the last thing on my mind shot isn't it yeah um i don't i think that would have been yes let's use the most recognizable shot of them that people will go oh that steps that would have been the approach to that, like whatever happened to, as in this is when they were at their biggest, what happened to that group? And this is what they looked like then. That would have been the thinking behind the choice of image. So we get to, so October comes around, Gold's number one in the UK, Chain Reaction does very well. Gold actually came out a month before Chain Reaction. I don't know if you remember this, but Gold came out on the 17th of um, December, right before Christmas. I didn't remember the release order of the album coming out before the single. Um, if gold came out just before Christmas, it would have been to try and get Christmas sales. It's a best of. And so 
around that time, there's a lot of best ofs. So if you've got a best of album, you want it in stores before Christmas because it'll get packaged up with all the other best ofs in displays, in Sanity or, or wherever. Uh, so that would have been the thinking in, in making sure gold came out the right side of Christmas, sales and exposure in store. So in terms of why Chain Reaction didn't come out until after Christmas, that could have been, I mean, there's lots of reasons about single release dates. Often if um, something was going to get a video hits competition, because the competition for the video uh, hits competitions among the record companies was fierce. Really? Because that was Tell guaranteed us. exposure yeah. for, what, four weeks in a row. You'd have Steps, have a brand new single, Chain Reaction, and then if you want to win, call 0055, you know. So record companies would, would jockey for those competition spots on video hits. And so maybe it was, uh, well, it's going to be quieter in January because the big releases are all before Christmas. Let's come out in January. We can get more attention on video hits. That could have been one. Maybe it tied in more with promo opportunities. Again, maybe they thought, oh, we can get the band out here to promote gold and to promote chain reaction. So let's hold the single off until we can get them here or get phoners or whatever, because there's no point releasing something and then getting the phoners two months later. So there were lots of reasons for, for schedule changes or things getting bumped forward or bumped back or, or that kind of thing. And yeah, it was a bit weird for the album to come out and then the single. So I can only imagine that it was one of those kind of things that it made sense to do it that way. It's funny that you talk about um, the video hits thing. Cause I just wanted to mention, cause channel V who I'm sure you would have been doing a lot of stuff with them as well. They had, do you remember the ripe clip of the week on channel V? So chain reaction was clip of the week, uh, one of the weeks around that time. So that, it, it probably makes sense. Yeah. Maybe saying. they thought, Oh, well, if we hold off to January, V have told us they'll make it ripe clip of the week. So let's wait. Yeah, like absolutely could have been a reason. On a similar wavelength is that uh, Here and Now was a video hits competition song. Yes. So that might have been why that was a single, why it had to come out on a certain date and why the album had to come out on a certain date because they probably needed both for the competition. Do you think that Step Splitting Up had any reason to do with Chain Reaction doing so much better than the other singles here? It went to number 41, which is in Australia was a big jump from Stomp and Here and Now. It was, I mean, it was top 50, but it was top 50 for one week. Yes, that's an achievement in that it, yes, it made the top 50, but in terms of sales compared to Stomp and Here and Now, I don't know that it would have been massively different, but I was going to take the entire credit because I put the song words in Smash Hits. You did, you did. And I, can I tell you, I distinctly, because again, like we were saying before, I was buying smash hits every single month by this point. And, and it's, you know, every month seeing something steps related in there, I would squeal and go, Oh my God, there's steps in smash hits. I distinctly remember the song words being there that month. So I love the fact that I, I'm, you're the one responsible, but I always remember around this time, I felt like media coverage of steps was really upping the ante around the gold chain reaction time. And again, I don't know now talking to you that it was obviously you were pushing for it, right? Cause you're a fan of your smash hits, but in my little corner, in your little corner, but I really remember there, it felt like 
the tables were turning a little bit by this point with steps and it's almost a bit of a god knows you know what could have happened had they not split up with there may have been a bit of a resurgence for them here well i think it's because everyone knows chain reaction in australia it was a number one single in 1986 and so all those people working in radio and tv would have grown up with that song and like me and would have been like oh my gosh it's chain reaction but with big drums and so i think that played a part that that recognition of oh i love this song i love this song whatever what 15 years ago and they've done a really good version of it so i think that was part of it um and yeah if they were on channel v that would have been part of it i think everyone loves a greatest hits album that would have been part of it and i guess if the narrative was this band have had enough hits in the uk to warrant a best of which obviously they did you know we all know that so i think that's changes the story as well so i think there are a lot of things at play but yeah mostly chain reaction i mean tragedy did so well again known song same songwriters and then chain reaction did well ish as well off that recognition factor so yeah gavin i feel like and i actually think it's from you scott that i think this is a thing i swear to god that at one point there was a rumor that they were going to come down all five of them in feb so initially chain reaction was going to be february and the rumor that i recall reading about the time was that all five of them were going to come do some promo here does that ring any bells about i feel like they were always going to be coming here and doing promo i feel like that was always and i, I might the have dangling alluded to, yeah i feel like i might have alluded to that earlier it was always I know it was always the wish of the record company because especially a group like Steps who are visual, they've all got great personalities. They can all sing, stick them on, was panel on around them? The, the panel, panel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick them on the panel to do an acapella version of One for Sorrow or something. Because Australia loves it when pop acts can sing and not all of them can, as we know. But Steps can and really well. So I think had they been in the country and shown, look, we can sing, look, we can do a cappella. look, you know, we can do the dance routines as well. And we're not high five. We're not that five, six, seven, eight group. That would have been fantastic. It would have been fantastic for Stomp, would have been fantastic for Chain Reaction. But as we know, other things, other things happened. Um, I know that there was just one more thing that I wanted to ask you. It wasn't on the, on the sheet I sent you, but moving into the next year, H and Claire came around. Were you kind of just doing your, your same thing throughout that year, just trying to get them in there when you could? Because I remember there was a little bit of coverage of them in Smash Hits. Was that just you going, oh, we'll just. I spoke to Claire um, for, for H and Claire. I'm, I'm pretty sure I did. I have memories of speaking to her for that because yeah, I just have a clear memories of, of talking to her about, I guess the breakup and the new contract because the new contract was like this huge contract. Yeah. So I remember, unless I'm making it up or imagining it, I feel like I spoke to her about that. And I reminded her that I had spoken to her all those years earlier as one of my first, you know, interviews. Um, and I'm pretty sure I ran some of that in Smash Hits. Yeah, I do. I remember there was a little, there was a little bit, and I've looked in the archives on your website. I've got very, Scott, you've brought up my memories now. I've got very distinct memories because I actually reached out to you, Gavin, in 2002 about Agent Claire. 
I um I remember distinctly. So you covered you covered step split in January two thousand one. You covered then Agent Claire forming the next month. I think I sent you a little email because I remember being, oh no, I can say it now. I was annoyed because you didn't really cover DJ at all. You covered half a heart. You gave it four stars, but this was DJ. And there was only a two month break between DJ and half a heart for, because they didn't do that well. But I remember you didn't cover DJ and what, but to be fair, to be really, you were really nice. You actually sent me a cutout from the UK um, from the UK smash hits with like the actual one page article that they did right after steps broke up. So it was really sweet, but you, but I distinctly recall, and I mean, the archives are on chartbeats.com.au, but um, there was no, I, I don't believe, I, you know, I'm going to stand firmly on this. There was no agent Claire coverage. <laughs> um, I'm impressed that I was, uh, I'm impressed that I was, um, impressed with myself that I was that I was nice, you were nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, but I think I, I obviously recognized a steps fan I was obviously like oh this guy's a steps fan you know kindred spirit but I would imagine that it would have been deadline related because things moved quickly and maybe it was the case that it, we missed the issue whereas we'd sent an issue to print stuff happens and then it's too late. And then by the time we come out, it's old news. And so we can't, you know, so I feel like if we didn't cover DJ in smash hits, it would have been because it would have been because of that. It would have been because the, the issue had gone to print already. I have another memory now, Gavin, I don't think you were a fan of DJ because I remember I emailed you twice. I didn't even know how to use email. It was probably from my mother's email address, which is even weird up, but I distinctly remember emailing you, oh, you didn't cover DJ. And then I asked you whether you liked it and you ignored the question. So Gavin Scott, do you like the song DJ by H and Claire? Yes, I know. I absolutely did. Um, I absolutely do. Uh, I like all the singles off that album and a lot of the album as well. Um, You've blown my mind because that is like distinct, like an, a core memory unlocked as our shame would love to say. I don't know why I wouldn't have said maybe, I don't know, because... Yeah, I don't know. I honestly, I, I cannot tell you why I wouldn't have admitted to liking DJ because I did. Like, I, I loved it straight away. Um, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I missed the question or maybe I didn't want my thoughts in print that could be used against me at a later date. No, I don't, I don't know. 20 years later on a podcast. And here and here they are. I should have said something because it's being used against me now anyway. Uh, no, I, I, yes, I don't know. I do have one more Smash It's related question and it is similar to the bit we started off with, with Lately. It's not on the list, but I have asked you this before on Instagram. Why did S Club 7's greatest hits album get a review and not Steps? Is, so, this, is this it, is this it Brad? Let, are we going me... back here again? Let me let me explain the context to the listeners. So famously, in my life at least, Steps Gold by Steps got five a five-star review in Smash Hits, as it should have. But it was not album of the month. Album of the month was Rock Steady by No Doubt, which was four stars. Okay. And I definitely this was probably part of my Agent Claire into my Agent Claire email to you was why did you not make it album of the month? And the reason that Gavin gave me was, and this is 2002. So again, you, your words are being held to you mm. 20 years later. The reason you gave is that greatest hits albums do not get featured as album of the month. Gavin, do you want to finish the story for me? Yes. I became editor in 2003 and changed the rules 
So in 2002, I had an editor who would have said, no, we can't have gold by Steps as album of the month, Gavin. I've already let you run the song words. I've already let you do your whatever happened to story. No, no doubt are getting album of the month. And it's a good, that's a good album actually. And that would have been my reason to reader Brad to say, this is why we gave a five-star album review, but it didn't get album of the month. But then in 2003, when I became editor and uh, S Club 7 put out their best of end of that year. Best, right? yeah. Yeah. Uh, May. It was, it was, I think it was the same. It was, this is why it double triggered me because it was, I'm pretty sure it's the same page as the lately review. So you insulted me twice in one page. <laughs> um, but then by then, yes, I was like, you know what? I get to make the rules now and I'm making this album, album of the month. But also it could have been maybe there wasn't as much competition in the month that the S Club 7 Best Of came out. Whereas a new No Doubt album is quite good competition. What was the circulation by sort of around sort of 2002, 2003, like per month of readers of Smash Hits? Like 30,000 and 40,000 okay. Okay. from memory. Yeah. So yeah, like Cirque was, Cirque was okay, um, but not many people subscribed. I think people tended, like some did, um, but I wouldn't imagine there would have been a rush each month of more subscribers i would have felt like it would have been a few dozen but i don't know who knows um but yes if if the list got lee single never came out they couldn't send it to you so you got eminem deal deal with it move on <laughs> movie, brad. movie prize anything else brad any any, any more um, actually knowing therapy, that knowing that you were there till 2005 so lately wasn't released too far gone wasn't released get it on though was Mm -hmm. Was there any opportunity there to get, or were you by then, steps were over, you didn't really, was there any opportunity to get that featured? What part of 2005 was? Uh, January 2005. Okay. And that's when it came out here? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I was still there. Uh, no, I wasn't, as far as I know, offered phone time because I would have taken it. It was on, like, it was on big records. It was like an yeah. off, it was a very yeah, indie yeah, yeah. release. Yes. May top um, 60 though. So. Yeah. I, I, um, wasn't offered time with Lisa because I definitely would have taken it had I been offered it. Uh, I don't even know if we reviewed it. In the UK, they still have pop press, like retro pop, classic pop. Do you, do you think like there would be a market now for like a smash hits kind of, or a retro pop sort of magazine here? Do you think it would work? Because I've always wondered. You know, Scott, I have wondered the same thing about that. Because, yeah, classic pop does very well in the UK for that 80s new romantic scene and those kind of bands. And then retro pop, which is newer, does more with the, like, the divas and the, the pop, the pure pop stuff, and is probably more 90s, 2000s. So uh, between the two of them, those titles have got, like my lifetime of pop all stitched up and there's obviously a really big market for it over there because a the british love their pop but those mags seem to do it really well and get really good access would it work here in australia uh i don't know because i have thought maybe countdown magazine should make a comeback uh or i mean smash hits is tricky because it's a uk australia I don't, I don't even know who owns the masthead anymore because it was at emap and emap doesn't exist here anymore i think acp bought it but 
I guess it would be with our media. So um, I don't, I don't know. I think, um, and not to just plug my own other podcast, but I guess a journey through Aussie pop has shown me there is a real interest in Aussie pop stories and Aussie pop artists who don't get to tell their stories in the way that rock acts do in Australia. I mean, it's all about rock. It's always been all about rock in Australia. I went and saw Ego, the Michael Gudinski documentary the other day. Fantastic. Amazing. Loved it. That's the kind of thing that gets made here. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, that ABC series. That gets made here. So pop stories don't get told as often. But I think there is a market for it because, you know, we've done two seasons of Aussie pop and and people seem to love it. So could it, you know, could a whole magazine work? Maybe if it was... um, uh, if it was done right and if it was maybe bi-monthly might work because I think classic pop comes out bi-monthly and um, yeah I mean there's a magazine called Women in Pop which is done out of Australia which uh, is quite niche in the sense that it it, um, it it knows its market and it sells to that market and it's been going for a while and it's you know looks quality uh, in terms of the the covers and the the stock of the paper and things like that, so it's you know done well. Uh, so I think you would just have to get your business model right. Boring way of of saying that. And speculation. Um, make sure Eminem's on the cover. And the, yeah, and then um, and and cover the right people. Maybe a magazine covering Bardo would be the way to go oh. the complete bardo story it would sell like uh, you should write the you should write the book i feel like you're the person who could get all five of them to maybe eventually like put it down to written word and get like a an oral history i mean that's i guess yeah what we did with the three bardo episodes was to get the oral history told from the different perspectives and i would love to do episode four and episode five if, if tiffany and, and sophie ever <laughs> And, and six, if we want to go with, with Chantel. Um, yeah, I mean, it also comes down to people wanting to talk. And I find this with the Stock Aiken Waterman podcast as well, is that some people, it's so easy to get them to talk and tell their story. Other people, especially when it's been a while, just don't want to go back there. For whatever reason, maybe it was a traumatic experience. Maybe they felt like they got ripped off. Maybe they've just moved on and it, they they have positive memories of it, but they don't, you know, that, that was then kind of thing. So I think the issue with those kind of magazines, especially in, in a market like Australia, where I guess it's more limited to, to who you could cover, you've got to make sure that you're speaking to people who you're trying to speak to people who want to tell their stories. And even within Bardot, three do, two don't. Well, Gavin, thank you so much for talking to us. It honestly has been the most insightful conversation. And I know that Brad is so happy to finally get lots of those unanswered questions (laughs) answered from you. Please tell everyone, where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Where can they listen to you? Um, So on social media, you can find me at chartbeatsau on Twitter. I'm not calling it X. Instagram, I'm on threads, uh, Facebook as well. And yes, the two shows, A Journey Through Aussie Pop, which is into its second season. 
we just had the Bardo episodes and a journey through Stock Aiken Waterman, which is going through every single produced by Stock Aiken Waterman, and we're up to 1990. So we've just done better than W No. Awesome. Well, thank you thank very you so much, much, Gavin. Really appreciate it. It was a five star interview. Thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> I feel like it's been cathartic for Brad. A bit of therapy to put aside those uh, burning issues. Well, it, it has actually like, you know, I guess there are some things in the back of the back of my head that I always thought that you kind of, you know, it's again, it's been a fascinating chat. It's been enlightening. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, that was absolutely fantastic. Wasn't that so, God, it was such a good interview. I wasn't part of it. Um, I was still you know, coming back from overseas. I was somewhere. Was somewhere holiday, summer, yeah. No, I, I think <laughs> I landed back in the country the day you guys recorded it. But as someone who read those magazines and was buying them every week and was on top of what was happening in Stepsland, um, you know, just like you, you both were, it was so good to get a peek behind that curtain from his perspective and all the all the things that you that you both talked about. Um, it was also good to just sort of listen to it as a listener and not not chair the interview. <laughs> I will say that. And you know, it's funny. Like, I wish obviously the interview you've just heard, like it's been edited and cleaned up a bit. But if you could listen to the the kind of raw files of it, it's basically Gavin speaking and me going, "Wow, wow!" <laughs> like every two seconds. Like I think when I sent you the raw file of it, you were just like, "Oh my god!" I can hear you going, "Oh my god!" Like because. You know, for all of us, these magazines were just, they were Bibles for us, as I think kind of said in in the interview. And to actually speak to the man who was, you know, kind of like responsible for what we were reading and was every, I I remember those moments of opening the magazine and seeing the Chain Reaction song words in the, in the song words section or seeing the Steps interview or, and, and actually speaking to the person that did it, that was a massive deal. And to get that sort of behind the scenes lens, not just of the step story, but just of what it was like to work for Smash Hits at the time and all those amazing little stories of like, you know, the Hayley Aitken story or, you know, him like the sugar babes with chopsticks eating (laughs) M&Ms and, you know, running around Priceline with M2M. Like, it's it's just insane to hear those stories. It was amazing. And Brad very much remembers Lisa's got Lee getting three stars. Yeah. <laughs> Lately getting yeah. three stars. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, the other thing as well. So, in the last episode, we obviously spoke about the, the Buzz and Gold era in depth. And one thing that we didn't have at the time, I was chatting to Gavin after we had recorded that episode, and he sent me all of the chart runs for Stomp Here and Now and Chain Reaction in Australia. And me being me, Shane, as you know, I'm a little bit of a geek with that sort of stuff when it comes to chart runs and song song credits. So just for anyone playing at home that is interested, I did want to call Get out... Get your bingo full, cards out. Get your bingo cards out. I just wanted to call out the full chart runs for each of the singles here in Australia for anyone who cares. Um, so for Stomp, it debuted at number 62. It then went to 85, 88, then out... Here and Now debuted at number 71. It dropped to 93, then 97, then out. It then re-entered the chart at 85, then 89, then out. And Chain Reaction debuted at number 41. 
it then went to 51, 58, 84, 92 out. So bingo. At home. <laughs> bingo. <laughs> I'm just a little sucker for uh, chart stats like I love that. that. So thank you, Gavin, for uh, digging those out and sending them to me. Well, I think that wraps up our episode. So another big thank you to Gavin for the incredible chat um, that you had with the boys and for coming onto our podcast and leveling us up as well because we loved having you as a guest. And I would love to chat with you again in the future about something and have me join that, that interview. Um, you can check out his two podcasts, A Journey Through Aussie Pop and A Journey Through Stock Aiken Waterman and give him a follow at Chartbeats AU on Instagram. You can follow us at Glitter Steps Pod on all the socials, which is, you know, Twitter, sorry, it's X, Instagram, you name it, we're on it. Um, you can follow me at Stepmeister on Instagram and Stepmeister OZ on X. And Scott, where can they follow you? You can follow me at StepsCollection underscore on Instagram. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. Please give us a five-star rating. We love them. Um, And until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Bye. Bye.